Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Expeditors podcast, where you can hear about front of my topics and the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today's topic, going to the source. Everything comes from somewhere, and that's a pretty general statement, but when thinking about trade and the flow of goods, that somewhere plays a heavy role, especially when it comes to access, infrastructure, and for this episode, compliance and regulations. What happens when a global event has you rethinking where you're starting the journey of your goods? Today, I have Mike Beleza, Vice President of Tradewind, to answer a few questions about this topic. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, I want to get to know you a little bit before we talk about today's topic. What's Tradewind and what do you do as Vice President? Yeah, so Tradewind is a wholly owned subsidiary of, of Expeditors. So we're a separate uh, consulting division that does kind of strategic trade consulting around mm-hmm. projects around the world. Um, you know, I think we're in 21 countries around the world. And we also do a lot of the tactical work uh, around trade compliance that you know, typically falls under you know, our customer side of the fence. So things mm-hmm. like classification and export controls, and valuation, things like that. But generally, we're the consulting arm. So then what's the difference between Expeditors and Tradewind? Because yeah. Expeditors has its own you know, trade compliance program and offerings and such. How does Tradewind different? Well, I think, you know, Expeditors, you know, its own business, they have a very robust compliance program. And I think they're known for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're working with customers to you know, prevent corruption, deny price screening, things of that nature. You know, Tradewind, on the other hand, is a separate consulting group. You know, regardless if an import or exporter uses Expeditors or, you know, or not. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, sometimes Expeditors will actually hire us. Sure. You know, we're helping customers a lot of times upstream, some of these upstream projects such as classification or assisting duty mitigation or evaluation or export mm-hmm. controls. You know, that's the kind of stuff we're doing. And often that's really upstream in the customer supply chain and the planning process. And it's often long before a shipment or, or a forwarder or a customs broker gets involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Expeditors might recommend us a client or vice versa, but so we have a very good relationship, but it's it's a separate kind of standalone consulting. So then what's your journey been like? You're now as vice president. How did you get involved with Tradewind? How long have you been with the organization? Things like that. Yeah. So I, I've been with with uh, with Tradewind about 11 years. I, I Previous to that, about 10 years before that, I was with Expeditors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started with, with Tradewind in the U.S. when we were, we were relatively small. Um, you know, and over the years, trade compliance has kind of continued to grow and grow. And, and with that, you know, we've been able to grow that organization quite a bit from being kind of a you know, smaller group in the U.S. and Canada, um, really to all over the globe. So into a variety of countries in Europe, you know, we've opened up a great deal of, of offices all throughout Asia. So we have this really nice kind of cohesive um, global network that we've built over the years as trade compliance has grown in importance. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a journey for sure. That's very cool. Starting, starting small, getting it right, and then expanding the network and, and, and the, the, the reach. Um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about trade compliance. It's something that uh, I have a little understanding of, but I want to get to know it better, especially for its, you know, for its impact and influence. So mm-hmm. how much uh, of an influence does trade compliance have over a supply chain as a whole? Well, I think it's, you know, it's a big part of it. Um, you know, the goal of trade compliance, it's to get, you know, these goods, you know, that we talk about mm-hmm. um, and get them, them to move through the supply chain smoothly, right? And, and, in the context of that regulation, I think that's a big part of it. So, you know, we're looking at things like export regulations when a good leaves, all the way to the import regulations of the of the country that you're going towards. Um, and there's a lot of government agency and, and valuation and taxes. And a lot of things that you know we're doing is we're helping importers pay the right amount of duties, pay the right sure. amount of taxes, mitigate their risk, um, and do that in a way that you know that is that is beneficial for that company. And 
you know, all the things within supply chain, there's logistics, there's sourcing, there's trade compliance, they all kind of interact, you know, within themselves, right? And, and together um, and cohesively, they, they become what is known as supply chain. But it's, it's one, I would say, the three main aspects of supply chain. You know, one thing I would say, too, is, you know, the regulations and trade compliance, they're, they're hugely important in the mm-hmm. fact that they influence all the other pieces of supply chain, right? So when we think of, like, the physical movement of goods and the logistics of goods, well, they're designed around these regulations. And governments are crafting tariffs or trade agreements or product requirements or these export controls. Everything you see in the news, they're all designed to have a context into the way that goods move in supply mm-hmm. chain, right? And then my job or Tradewind's job is to help these companies align with those rules compliantly, but then also take advantage of the programs that exist. You know, with any, with any shipment, with any, you know, movement of goods, there's export regulations in the country you're leaving, and then there's import regulations in wherever you're going. And they're usually quite different. You know, the export regulations around security, mm-hmm. right? Uh, technology transfer, things of that nature. On the import, they're really about duties and taxes. Right, right. right? And, and, you know, to some level, um, you know, the regulations around, you know, whatever foreign policy goals that the company, ha- the country has. Um, you know, our goal is to take advantage of those programs as they exist that's most advantageous to the company. In previous episodes, I've talked with other folks about how, you know, customs or technology, their roles have changed, or at least they're they're getting a bigger spotlight and therefore a, a bigger seat at the table when it comes to uh, decisions that have to be made in order to achieve, you know, supply chain resiliency. You know, the, the the C-suite at various organizations are now paying attention to these various aspects of supply chain. Yeah. What kind of spotlight is trade compliance getting now and how has that changed over time? Well, I mean, it's there's a really great spotlight on right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the the last the last, uh, you know, four or five years have, have been a roller coaster. Sure. And there's been so much change. Um, you know, I always thought trade compliance moved really at a very kind of slow snail's pace. And that was the way that they were used to operating. And then, you know, the last four years has been this constant, you know, barrage of, of new regulations and things of that nature that, that have really changed it. Um, you know, I was thinking back, you go back five years ago, we were talking about the, the TPP, right? The Trans-Pacific yeah. Partnership, which which ultimately kind of the U.S. you know pulled out of and it kind of reorganized in its own way, um, and that was going to be the biggest thing in trade. Well, you know, fast forward five years and most people probably don't remember all that much about it, <laughs> you know. And it, and since then we've had so much have happened, right? Yeah. We've had a trade war between the U.S. and China. Mm-hmm. We've had all these export controls and sanctions. We had the pandemic. We had Brexit. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, Brexit would have been the group, the largest thing in trade compliance in you know, in years. And, and for a little while, we forgot about it because of the pandemic right? mm-hmm. um, or, or it fell out of the news anyway. So, you know, I think, you know, trade compliance has been in the spotlight for the last couple of years, more so than I've ever seen. it. And, and really a lot of that started with those, those 301 tariffs in the U.S. around, you know, around China, but also with other countries, you know, we had Canada, we had Europe, we had all these things going on. And that really accelerated it. Um, you know, I'd say in the C-suite and the, you know, particularly the CFOs, it really came to a spotlight because suddenly the amount of taxes and duties and tariffs just exploded. Yeah. And suddenly many companies, they got very educated on trade compliance very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember um, coming to a head, I remember, you know, visiting my, my mother actually. And 
remember her bringing up tariffs and I thought, oh my God, we're, we're mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> she knew when she knew what the tariffs were going on, I, yeah. I knew we were in trouble. And, uh, you know, I look back at duty drawback and this is something we've done for 20 years at trade one. And it, it was niche, you know, and it's something that's run by a few dozen customs agents in, in us customs. And suddenly overnight, every company is looking at duty drawback, yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, suddenly everybody understood tariff classification and valuation and how to, and they're all looking at how to minimize the impact or how to take advantage of it or what they can do uh, within, you know, the constraints of the environment to, to kind of survive, particularly in this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's, it's been big. And then on top of it, I think, you know, supply chains have gotten way more complex in the last six or seven years, maybe sure, the last 10 sure. years. Like, used to have a lot of these A to B movements and now it's, it's much more of a web, you know, particularly manufacturing where you're moving components all around the world for assembly and testing and everything else. And all of that stuff puts a great deal of effort um, on these trade compliance teams. And, mm-hmm. and in doing so, I think people understand the risk and the, the advantage and the opportunity, but they have to do it right. I think that's one of the big, my, one of the biggest takeaways uh, of these, these number of these interviews is, Everyone I seem to be talking to, uh, their families are finally understanding what they really yeah. do for, for work because of Terrifying. because of events like this. Yeah, <laughs> terrifying. That's the key. Yeah, it's really it became, you know, sanctions became mainstream. You hear about yeah. that every day in the news, right? Totally. You know, so and so are now sanctions or new sanctions on North Korea. You know, that's that's what we do, mm-hmm. right? Denied party screening, things of that nature, or you know, you hear about all these. Well, there's a new tariff on this, or they're complaining about these tariffs, but you know, that's what we do every day. It's so key to what we talk about. And suddenly it's mainstream. And that was a weird thing. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it was weird to be mainstream. We were, we were happy in our, you know, counterculture niche, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and we're not anymore. Yeah. You went from, from band geek to like quarterback all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I was like, the, it's like the backup kicker. Right. Um, so, and, and here we are. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Unpredictable things, right? They happen all the time. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna get to COVID, but let's let's start with you know natural disasters, right? These are these are very localized things and um, yeah. and and focused events. COVID was different because it happened all at once globally, right? So, how did the pandemic change the dynamics and and pathways to success for trade compliance teams and programs? That's a good question. You know, I think the trade war coming before the pandemic in a lot of places started to prepare everybody, mm-hmm. right? And that brought a lot of a lot of spotlight onto some of the risks that are in trade compliance um, and some of the, the infrastructure that needs to be put in place to handle it. So I think, you know, a lot of ways, these, particularly these big multinationals, they were already on the path to preparing, mm-hmm. right? When this hit and, and then it hit, you know, and from the, the people, you know, with on my teams, of course, but then also, the, you know, my customers and the importers and the exporters of the world, you know, I think that the, the first biggest reaction was that everybody worked from home, right? Now, that was a big change for a lot of people. Sure. And I think that that affected what they wanted to do and what they were going to do every day. And things changed from these kind of long-term strategic projects. You know, maybe somebody wanted to get into, you know, AEO um, or they were looking at, you know, big, you know, you know, implementing a new system or something like that. And a lot of their, their programs and their effort really kind of changed to more of a tactical Right, of, mm-hmm. of a survival approach in some ways, and you know, how do we how do we get goods through in the lowest cost possible? How do we you know avoid some of these duties that are going on? 
um, or if we need to change production really quickly, you know, what has to be done for that shipment to get through as opposed to these more holistic strategic, you know, endeavors. And I think that, you know, I think it takes you a year to learn your job and a year to perfect your job. Sure. And I think we're, we've done it for a year. Yeah. And everybody now is starting to, you know, get comfortable in where they're at and they're starting to pull back into those longer term strategic initiatives that they want to get through. And now they're a little bit more comfortable and they know what the new reality is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I'm starting to see that people start going more towards those, you know, strategic initiatives. So then what realizations have surfaced because of this? I want to hear, you know, the good and the, and the bad and the ugly of, of all of it. Um, what have people learned? Um, well, I think they, they learned in a lot of ways that, you know, they need to invest a little bit, right? Um, you know, if you went back six or seven years ago, I think a lot of, a lot of the multinationals in particular had, you know, maybe trade compliance was maintained at the corporate level. Mm-hmm. And that's really changed over the last, you know, maybe five years, but it really culminated in the pandemic of now you have a global team. You know, you have somebody that runs trade compliance in Asia. You have someone in Europe. You have someone in North America. Um, it's some kind of overarching global you know, leadership. And I think that, you know, that's what people started to put in place. And they were in this position, the pandemic, to, to react to some of these really difficult tactical items that came up because of the pandemic and some of the change in their supply chain. Um, you know, but it, again, it also brought a lot of spotlight to what needs to be done and what's not being done. I think a lot of companies realized that they had way too much risk out, mm. right? And, and you have to look at trade compliance a lot like tax, right? Is are you paying the right amount of duties and taxes? Are you doing it effectively? Um, and a lot of people realized that, you know, maybe they didn't have the processes in place or they didn't have the personnel or the checks and balances. And, you know, in the pandemic, a lot of that had to be addressed, mm-hmm. had to be fixed. So in that regard, I think, you know, I think people are going to come out of this thing much stronger than they went in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of takes us into our main topic, which is all about sourcing. You know, you're talking about companies realizing that they have uh, too much risk out there. Um, What relationship does trade compliance have to sourcing and the decisions around establishing one's place where they're pulling in the um, the raw materials and manufacturing and things like that? You know, whenever you want to, whenever you want to change your sourcing, you know, that the the buzzword in the last couple of years has been, you know, supply chain resilience. Yeah. Right being able to kind of continue doing business, you know, effectively, you know, with, with a change in sourcing in some degree. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. If there's, you know, there's multiple sourcing, there's multiple, you know, manufacturing locations, there's buffer stock, there, there's all sorts of different strategies. And, and a lot of people use kind of these overlapping strategies to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I will say it, it takes a lot of preparation, right? A lot of times you can't switch, you know, production super quickly on some commodities. Some you can. Sure. You know, but a lot of them require, you know, they require capital investment. They require relationship building, um, requires the understanding of logistics and the cost of source it, you know, to source it. And then, and then there's the trade compliance, right, of, you know, understanding the valuation of the goods. Maybe there's related party transactions. Maybe there's new classifications. There could be export controls. Um, you know, in a complex supply chain, you have to go all the way down to build the material of the component right, yeah. to see if it, it qualifies. And, you know, that can get really kind of, you know, go down the rabbit hole, if you will, um, of what has to be done to just change sourcing. So I think that, you know, it takes a lot of upstream review before you can kind of make that decision of what makes the most sense for your company. 
Mm-hmm. Kind of speaking more to the operational level or, you know, the step-by-steps, what are the risks of changing your sourcing strategy, whether it's your location, your your providers, um, whoever's bringing in the source materials, uh, the raw materials, uh, what kind of hurdles could an organization expect to see? Well, I think, you know, whenever you change parts of your supply chain, you know, it affects a lot of different silos within an organization. And this is one of the things that I, I think I see fairly often. Mm. Um you know, a decision might be made by procurement or, you know, because they can find a better product, or maybe it's made by logistics because they can move something less expensive, you know, in a less expensive way, or, or maybe it's trade compliance, but, you know, they have to, they have to have this very cohesive way in together where they're talking and they're, and they're you know, noting the things that affect them. Um, you know, and I've seen people move production, you know, because of a lower price, but they invalidate a free trade agreement and it cost them more, you know, or, you know, for with the trade war, I saw a lot of people or within the pandemic, a lot of people trying to move assembly from one country to another to avoid certain tariffs. But, you know, whatever they did in that third country didn't really confer origin or make it a new country of origin. So they still had to pay the tariffs. And, you know, to do something like that, you have to, you have, to have the production people talking to the logistics teams and talking to the trade compliance teams holistically to make sure that the decision you're going to make is the right one. Right. Absolutely. And to not avoid a, a snap decision based on the limited information of maybe one group. And that that's the one thing I, I think I saw the most in, in the last couple of years of people making decisions with maybe without all the data or all the understanding of the implications yeah. of something that was maybe outside of their their sphere of influence. Or or just a, a dollar sign could could impact a decision, but but those oh, could have sure. <laughs> those could have massive ramifications, sure. right? For if sure. you're not paying attention. There's direct costs and there's indirect costs, right? <laughs> and people don't always understand the indirect Absolutely, costs. absolutely. Yeah, uh, how, what's the process then? Walk me through uh, how an organization would go about choosing an appropriate sourcing country. Well, I mean, the sourcing country can be can be tough. I mean, Things you have to look at are things like, you know, what are the, you know, what are their capabilities to build what you're trying to make or buy or, or, or source? Um, what kind of infrastructures in, inside that country you know, for you to do what you need to do? Um, you know, how transparent is it to deal business with it? Is it easy to do business there or is it not? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of, particularly in, in, you know, some of these manufacturing countries, there's a lot of barriers to trade that you have to understand. Mm-hmm. There's export controls um, that you have to worry about. I, I actually think that the harder part is actually the, a new importing country than it is an exporting. <laughs> Why is that? But exporting is really about security. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, and, and a lot of exporting countries, they're not that big on security. They just want to get, they just want to export. But on the importing country, it's about duties and taxes um, and other government agencies, things like, you know, an FDA or, or a health department mm-hmm. or something along those natures. But, you know, there's a lot more that has to be done in terms of understanding valuation, country of origin, classification, things of that nature. So um, I actually think sometimes it's, you know, in the sourcing and the supply chain model, it's finding, new, you know, moving into a new market can be much more complex, maybe sometimes than finding a new origin. What can a company be asking themselves then to gauge their, their flexibility, their level of mm-hmm. risk, um, their level of preparation, uh, and just like an overall pulse check to see if they're ready to take on a change as big as where they're sourcing from? Well, I think that, you know, some sometimes you have to do um, some modeling, some risks, right? Mm. And say, you know, what if something happened in this market? What would we do and how would we do it? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to kind of come up with those. But I think in the last few years, we have a few different scenarios that have come up that, <laughs> you know, 
makes it easy to war game these things. Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't have to theorize um, anymore. They they happen. You know, they happen. You know what happened if a global pandemic you know, was unleashed in the world? You know, um, zombie apocalypse. Right. right? <laughs> you know, I think you know if we had a, if you had to change your sourcing or you want to go into a new market or you know some of that stuff can be done up done up front in terms of what would we do? Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of our options? And then putting together a task list what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's going to be different by vertical, right? The, you know, the aerospace is not going to do it the same way as retail It's not going to do it the same way as tech. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every one of those is a little bit different, but, but they all still sit, you know, face similar challenges, sure. you know, um, healthcare is very different than retail, for example. Right. And there's a lot of other government agencies and, and work that has to be done. Um, but maybe the, the tariff rates are lower, right? So there's it's kind of pluses and minuses to each one, but, you have to understand and start to, to look at what would it take, you know, at both the strategic level and then a tactical level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when it, when the time comes, you, you have a task list of items that you know that, you know, you as your organization need to look at. Um, and chances are you're going to have a change in your supply chain for one reason or another. Sure. You know, I've just listed out five or six huge things that <laughs> happened in like 36 months. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's really been a wild ride. Um, so I think, you know, taking people with experience that know what to do mm-hmm. um, and putting together their, their plan in as, as far in advance as they can um, for certain changes is, is a way to go. Without naming names, what are the qualities of some organizations that you've seen that have really just knocked out of the park with uh, their sourcing strategy? Um, you know, a lot of companies, they made investments, I guess, you know, in, in previous years sure. and, and, and they recognize the importance of, you know, of trade compliance for for a variety of reasons, you know, maybe they got audited in the past, or maybe they had really high tariff rates. <clears throat> maybe they had a very complex supply chain, but you know, over time they invested mm-hmm. um, so that when you know when this came, you know, maybe they had a global team, you know, in place. Uh, they had systems. They had, you know, good, you know, part skew databases. They had good control of their their data, mm-hmm. um, and they had tools that were there to automate. Um, I mean, I've seen, you know, in the retail sector as an example, I've seen some companies that had an infrastructure and sure, the pandemic really kind of slowed them down. But when demand picked back up, they they got up and running quickly, mm. you know, very quickly. And in high tech, I've seen kind of similar things where maybe some of the strategic, you know, longer term audit programs, things like that, that have been kind of, you know, put on the shelf temporarily and are not being repicked up. But, you know, when they need to move commodities quick, they had the tools in place. They had the data at hand, um, and everybody still ran into challenges. But you know, they had they had process and they had people in place, mm-hmm. um, and they had the right tools for them, and they did okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the pandemic was you know picked winners and losers, and that's something we have to remember, yeah, right? Absolutely. You know, retail was was you know got hit pretty hard, but you know, if you're suddenly in the you know the video conferencing business, you did okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, Zoom's doing okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's some of the things that we have to realize is in some ways, companies with really strong, you know, e-com, you know, omni-channel kind of distribution channels, things like that, they actually did quite well, mm-hmm. but they had to have the, the trade compliance infrastructure in place to kind of take advantage of the situation that, it, that presented itself. And I think some did very well and some, 
you know, some struggles for sure. Yeah. And some will definitely be learning from, from this too, over the last 36 months. 100%, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots it, of big lessons. There'll be case studies on this for, for, for quite some time. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Lectures and whole courses at universities. Right. Uh, before we close, I want to ask uh, then, you know, the, the pandemic has caused this geographical impact with uh, shutdowns yeah. and production stoppage and stuff and tariffs and regulations uh, have an impact on trade. How does a company kind of find harmony in 2021? Yoga, <laughs> you know, I, I think lots um, of green tea, know, lots, lots, of, lots of tea. That's right. Um, you know, meditation, um, you know, I think have a plan, you know, in all honesty, you know, have a plan. Yeah, it's as simple as um, that. Huh? It's simple. I mean, a lot of people are prioritizing, right? And I, and I totally understand that. And they're prioritizing by the, the most critical. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, the, the companies that are doing really well are also leaving some time to keep those long-term strategies and their initiatives going. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like I said, the shock and awe of the last year, I think it's kind of worn off. And I think we, we understand where we are, but now we have to get back to business. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to realize that some of our priorities have changed. We have to reevaluate, but we still have to move forward, mm -hmm. you know? And so the, the companies that are, I think, handling that, those tactical changes, the immediate ones that need to be done today, but are also still thinking, two, three years down the road of, you know, what do I need to keep moving forward so that we're not, you know, behind the eight ball when it comes down to it. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, thanks you so much for your time. This is a lot of fun to chat about. Um, if people wanted to get into touch with you or just to learn more about you and TradeWin, where can they find you? We have a great website, uh, www.tradewin.net. You can reach out to me directly um, via there or my email. Cool. Michael Beleza at tradewin.net. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expediters, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expediters.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time.